about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Heavenly Father, we praise you with the words of Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the Christmas season. Although it is a busy time with lots going on, we thank you for the opportunity we have to stop and remember the long-awaited arrival of our Lord Jesus. May you help us all to prepare our hearts. May every heart prepare room for the Lord Jesus. What a joy it is to meditate on your goodness to us in sending Jesus. Father, we pray now for those in Indonesia, and we think those especially who are affected by the recent earthquake. Lord, we pray for the people that are grieving and suffering as the death toll sits above 260. We ask that you would bring comfort to those in Sienja and other affected areas. We also pray for our link missionary, Rebecca, and we thank you for keeping her safe. We ask that you would help her and your people to be a genuine help to those affected in any way they can. May they show your compassion, Lord, as you move their hands and their feet for you. Would you provide medical aid, food, water, sanitation and shelter for those who need it? Lord, we now think of our own church and all the Christmas events coming up. Thank you for the wreath-making event yesterday and for all those who are able to come and hear about the beauty of the Christmas season and connect with your people. We pray that you would help each one of us to have true warmth and true welcome as more people come to the Carols for Everyone event and our other Christmas events coming up. May you bring many people in Newtown, Erskineville, Sydney, Australia, and all around the world into a personal relationship with your precious son this Christmas. And finally, Lord, we pray our St. Stephen's vision prayer. May we more and more become a community that is deeply and beautifully shaped by the good news of Jesus, holding out to those around us with confidence, gentleness, and joy. We pray this in the mighty and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's continue to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Well, as we turn to God's word, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us tonight. As we come to your word, may your spirit be at work within us so that we might come to know you more deeply. 
and bring glory and honour to you through the lives that we live. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening, everyone. We get to read the Bible now. So if you want to take out that piece of paper that you got on your way in, we're going to be reading from 2 Kings, chapter 6, verses 8 to 23. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Aramaeans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time, sorry, time again, time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they had entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I king kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those who you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Well, good evening. Uh, let me add my welcome to Kezes. My name's Andrew. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm the senior minister here. It's great to be with you. <clears throat> I'm recovering from a cold, so I cough a little bit. Please forgive me if I have to take a drink. Um, I'm, I'm definitely on the way up, but uh, yeah, bear with any uh, 
unpleasantness in that regard. Um, If you're new here this evening, really great that you're here. Uh, We hope you have a lovely evening. We'd love you to get in touch using the the QR code, the Connect uh, form that you find through that, or just the contact details. Uh, And do hang around afterwards and say hello. Um, You are, if if this is your first time, you're coming in right at the end of a sermon series um, on the prophet Elisha, and indeed the end of a much longer sermon series that we began right at the beginning of the year on the prophets Elijah and Elisha. Um, And we end this series with what I think is one of the most captivating stories in the whole Bible. In fact, it was this story that actually got me going thinking about this series in the first place. Uh, So I'm going to pray again. And uh, so hopefully that'll that'll make sense as a kind of end of a series. But if you do want to go and check it out, the other sermons are on the the web. Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes so that we may see. Amen. Let's turn to this story. It's printed in your outlines. It's printed really small. I don't know how that happened, but uh, do feel free to get it on your phone if you want to get it bigger or in the Bibles. This is a story about power. It's a story about power. The theme of this story is the hidden power of God and the unexpected possibilities that that power opens up. A situation in this story, a situation that looks desperate and and totally hopeless, is turned around in the most glorious way because of an unseen, extraordinary power behind the prophet Elisha. I think it's worth pausing before we dive into this story, though, to notice that power is something we often feel deeply conflicted about. On the one hand, power is not something that many of us naturally think of as straightforwardly good. Some of us might, but actually a lot of us won't. Power's not something straightforwardly good. Now, why is that? It's because, I think, we live at a time that has become very aware, even hyper-conscious, of the misuses of power. At a big level, perhaps we're conscious of history, and especially the problematic history of British colonial power, especially in this country. But closer to home, inquiry after inquiry, controversy after controversy uh, has made us, has unearthed abuses of power, terrible ones in banks, maybe in aged care providers, tragically in churches. And closer still, in recent years, our attention has been drawn to dangers of power within the home, especially in domestic violence. The result, I think, is that the whole idea of power has become something dubious, a bit worrisome. In this, I think our time differs, actually, from some earlier times. Earlier ages, they did know that power could be abused. They knew that, but they also often thought of power as something fundamentally good, right? Strength and might were essentially a good thing to be celebrated. We've become much much less certain about this. Strength itself has become something really ambiguous. But on the other hand, we also cannot escape from the reality of power. For all our hesitancy, 
strength and power are just a, a fact of life. People do gain power and they use it. Sometimes, thankfully, for good, but sometimes for evil. Here, there and everywhere, we keep bumping up against the realities of power in this world. In fact, the realities of power and the thought of being powerless can be very frightening. Armies amass, and then horrifyingly, they invade. And all the verbal condemnations in the world cannot stop them. The, the ordinary little people were just mown down in Ukraine as missiles blasted apart their cities and houses and schools. Suspicion of power and caution about power, they don't undo it, actually. And so what is to be done but to fight fire with fire? For all our hesitancy, what can we do, actually, but empower ourselves? That's what worked has worked or is working in Ukraine, isn't it? A show of strength, a fearsome, brave response from the people and armies of Ukraine. Is there any other option? Is there any other option for Australia? As powers rise around the world, indifferent to the rule of law and human rights, is there any other option but to arm ourselves for a fight, to make ourselves tough and powerful and vicious, is there any other option for you and for me when we encounter bullies and injustice? Is there any other option for the Christian church as it finds itself facing opposition today? Is it simply realism to get ready to fight? There is no simple way through these questions. That's not what you're going to get this evening, a simple way through these questions. They're complicated and difficult, but there is something else to say, something that breaks open this hopeless closed circle of power. And it's what we see in this story of Elisha about the hidden power of God. And it makes a difference to us today because the same power is what we see in the cross of Jesus Christ. And the church and you and I are called to keep it before our eyes always. So can I invite you to come with me as we look at this wonderful story? Uh, basically, we're going to first look at the story, go through it in three stages, and then we're going to think about how it might shape us as people and as a church today. The outline is printed in your sheets if you want it. Okay, so first then this story, Elisha and the Arameans. The story begins in a world with which we are all familiar, I think. The world of might and strength. The nation of Aram is at war with Israel and the king is making plans. If you remember last week we heard about Naaman, one of the generals of Aram, and we heard about a little servant girl, uh, Israelite servant girl, who, who, who was with him. And she had been taken captive, we heard, by bands of Aramean raiders making incursions into Israel. That's at the beginning of chapter 5, if you want to go back and read it. Those bands will come back 
into this story, actually, bands of raiders. But now the king of Aram seems to be stepping up the conflict, but he is thwarted at every turn by Elisha, the story tells us, because he keeps informing the king of Israel of the Aramean's movements, and it drives the king of Aram crazy. Here's verse 11. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and buses on the side of the king of Israel. He's sure there is an informant. There must be. But there isn't. It's not us, the officers protest in verse 12. It's not us, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. The king is confronted by a power he does not understand, a power that can see and know even into the most intimate spaces of his life. It's meant to be very unsettling and disturbing. So he responds in the only way that he knows to respond, with force. He sends spies who find out where Elisha is, and then he goes to get him. Verse 14, he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Ah, I've got him, he thinks. I've got him like a fish in a net. A strong force. And it is a strong force. On the face of it, the game is up. Elisha's servant gets up early, goes to get ready, goes out, and holy cow, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, this is verse 15, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. I suspect in the original, his language was a bit more colourful. Imagine waking up in that little city, right? Dothan was not a big place. And all around you is an army, fierce, strong, with the kit of war and the habits of violence. You know, I think it's worth pausing briefly at this point because I I think this man's experience as he stands there is something we can connect with. Not many of us, I think, are facing or have faced anything quite this desperate. I mean, I really hope not. Though let's remember that around the world there are people in situations actually like this. Think of the people of Ukraine. Again, just in February, as the Russian armies encircled their borders. Think of the people of Tigray in Ethiopia. And I'm sure also that some of us here face difficulties that feel very much like an encircling army closing in. But even if we don't exactly share this experience, we can connect with it. And we can connect with it because all of us know what it is like to feel threatened, to feel endangered, to feel at the mercy of powers greater than we possess. At at a minimum, all of us were children once. And so we all know deep in our memory what it is to be small and powerless. And that fear can shape us even today in all sorts of ways. On top of this, most of us in our adult lives know something of what it's like to be a bit embattled, of having too much arrayed against you. You see, this is the world we're in. 
This is the world we're in, the world of might, the world where force is just real and powerlessness is something deeply fearful. Except this time, it's different. Because this time, the closed circle of power, it turns out, is open. What we see here is only a tiny fraction of the picture. Enter Elisha, verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In the midst of this terrifying situation, Elisha is utterly calm. Why? Because he knows that this situation really is not what it looks like on the surface. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he prays for the servant's eyes to be opened, and they are. And through him, we get to see what Elisha is talking about. The hills full of horses and chariots of fire, the same as those, if you remember, the same as those that encircled Elijah, Elisha's master, when he was taken up to heaven. It's back in chapter 2, if you want to go and read it. You see, here is the unseen spiritual force of God. Notice also that last phrase, all around Elisha. Did you notice that? It's important, that phrase, because it's unnecessary. We've already been told that the horses and chariots of fire are on the hills, so we we know they're around Elisha and his servant. But the story draws attention to it explicitly. Why? Because Elisha is the point at which this unseen power is focused. Because he is the prophet, the one who embodies and speaks the word of God. The word of God. God's address to Israel is anchored in him. The armies are encircled around Elisha because that is where the hidden power is focused. You see, what the servant is permitted to see here is not anything new. It's not anything that's just appeared, something extra. It's simply the hidden truth about Elisha, the truth about God's word, that the word of God wields an extraordinary unseen power that makes a mockery of any human force. That's also why in what follows these angelic armies, these horses and chariots of fire, they don't play any visible role. It's not like these horses and chariots of fire sweep down from the hills and destroy the Arameans. Nothing like that happens. No, rather in what follows, it's only Elisha who acts. Because the armies simply show us the reality of His power, the power of the word of God. And this power, you see, opens up unexpected possibilities. We see this at the end of the story. As the enemy comes down, Elisha prays. We're not up to that yet, sorry. 
The enemy comes down and Elisha prays, strike this enemy with blindness. And the Lord does so. It's hard to say exactly what this blindness means. The word can also just mean bedazzled. I think that sounds kind of quaint, right? But exactly what's going on, I don't know. But one way or another, they can't quite see properly. Notice this theme of seeing, eyes opened, not being able to see. You see, their way of looking at the world is coming undone here. Then Elisha has a a, a kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi moment. These aren't the droids you're looking for. It's from Star Wars, if you're young. It was a big movie in the 70s and 80s. Verse 19, Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. You see what I mean? (laughs) This is not the road. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you were looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After that entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. Samaria was the capital of Israel. So what Elisha has done here is lead them into a trap. They open their eyes. They're there in the capital city surrounded by the Israelite armies. Totally vulnerable. Now the obvious thing to happen at this point would be for them to be overthrown. This is what the king of Israel thinks. He sees them and he says, shall I kill them? My father, Elisha, shall I kill them? That would make sense, right? The tables are turned. Here is an incredible opportunity for him to seize power, maybe even to win the war forever. But precisely because the hidden power of God is so much greater than any earthly power, because it is the power of God, it doesn't work by the same logic as our power. Rather than bringing war and death, it creates life and peace. Listen again to the extraordinary conclusion. And just think about how different this is from a massacre, which was the alternative. Do not kill them, Elisha answered. This is verse 22. Would you kill those you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and go back to their master So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. No, says Elisha, don't kill them. Feed them and let them go. And the king goes and does even more. He prepares a great feast. I think that's really powerful, actually. If your enemy is hungry, the Bible says elsewhere, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Well, here it is. This is what happens. And it changes everything. The bands of raiders stop. They, they, just, they just can't do it anymore. They have been defeated by this moment of profound grace. Where there was war, now there is peace out of nowhere. What do we make of this story today? We asked at the beginning whether there is any other path than the path of fighting fire with fire, matching power with power, might with might, whether despite our fears and hesitancy and suspicion, we have no choice but to to, to try to gain power and to use it lest others do so against us. Well, here we see 
at least, that the power that we see on the surface of things, the power that frightens us and that we worry about, it is not all there is. There is another power, infinitely greater, the hidden majesty and power of God. And that power has a focus. It has a point through which it appears in the world and opens up new possibilities. The Word of God, where the Word of God is living and active, as the book of Hebrews calls it, there there is hope for something different. Because at that point is focused a hidden power that if we could see it, would stagger us and make everything look different. One of the things the stories of Elijah and Elisha do, in a way I think it's their big theme, this story in particular, is to help us to see this truth, to to help us to see that where there is the word of God, there is true power and hope that cannot be defeated. I think this was one of the original purposes of these stories. This is a bit of a kind of sidebar that I think is interesting, I hope helpful, but I think it's worth, I'm I'm just going to explain it. So these stories of Elijah and Elisha, they form the center of the books of 1st and 2nd Kings, 1 and 2 Kings. And these books, 1 and 2 Kings, were completed, we think, during Israel's exile in Babylon. If you don't know the history, basically, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, gradually kind of things fell apart, and eventually the, army of, the armies of the empire of Babylon came over and, and destroyed Jerusalem and took the people captive into exile in Babylon. It was a, a complete disaster, and a lot of the Old Testament revolves around that. Um, and the books and two kings end with that moment. They end with the people in exile. But that period of exile, though, was also a moment that, at which prophecy exploded in Israel's life. Do you know the big books in the Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel? They're all written and kind of focused on this moment of the exile. And so what the books of 1 and 2 Kings are doing by putting at their center the stories of Elijah and Elisha, the prophets, What they're doing, I think, is reminding the scattered and demoralized Jewish people that even though the kingdom has collapsed, even though the the nation has been smashed, the temple has been burnt, all is not lost. Because where there is prophecy, which there is, where there is the word of God, There still is everything that matters. There is extraordinary power and every reason for hope. And you know, we have even more reason to believe this truth and to treasure it. Because what we see here with Elisha, we see even more clearly with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, you see, did not die because of a lack of power. 
He did not die because he was overcome by worldly forces and strong men greater than he was. No, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter draws his sword and tries to resist Jesus' arrest, matching might with might, you see, what does Jesus say? Well, he says, white blank screen. I'll read it. No, that's not it. Don't worry, it's a stuff up with my slide. Don't try and fix it, Sang-Yong. You can listen. This is from Matthew chapter 26. What does Jesus say when Peter draws his sword? Jesus says, put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And then listen to this. Do, do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way. You see, the angelic armies, the horses and chariots of fire, they were there too. And they were there when Jesus was questioned and slandered. And as he was flogged and mocked. And as he was hung on the cross. It was not a lack of power that caused these things. It was an abundance of it. Because this was the power of God, the might of heaven at work to, to finally do something different, something impossible, something that exploded the logic of this world, something that brought life instead of death, peace instead of war. And so, of course, Jesus rose from the dead because he was the victor, but not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. The Word of God, which means, above all, the gospel, the good news of the cross, it is the site of extraordinary power. Here's what the Apostle Paul says, in 1 Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks, it's just the Gentile world, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is not a power that is obvious on the surface of things, brothers and sisters. It is hidden, hidden mostly under weakness. It's treasure in clay jars is the other metaphor the Apostle Paul uses for it. But it is real power nevertheless. An extraordinary, unseen power of life and peace. And if we will only let our eyes be open to this truth, it will shape and change us profoundly. Do you know, this is exactly what Paul prays for in another of his letters. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. See that, that prayer for eyes opened? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you see how Paul's prayer is just another version of Elisha's prayer for his servant? That the eyes, that our eyes would be opened 
two spiritual reality. Paul makes it clearer. He says, they're the eyes of your heart that I'm talking about. And why? So that we might know the power of God for us, the mighty strength that raised Jesus from the dead. If we really knew this, it would free us profoundly. It would fill us with confidence and courage and calm, even in the midst of terrible adversity. Same as Elisha has here, that calm and clarity. It would free us from the need to lash out, snarling and aggressive like a cornered snake, or the need to retreat into a fearful, defensive posture like an echidna with its spikes out. It would free us not to repay evil with evil, but instead to feed our hungry enemies, to be ready for whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate. We would be able, I think, to rejoice in the Lord always and to let our gentleness be known to everyone because the Lord is near, because around us, around you, when you seek and love the gospel, horses and chariots of fire are mustered. Open your eyes, brothers and sisters. This picture, take this picture with you, because this picture, the picture of Elisha and his servant standing surrounded by enemy armies, looking desperate and hopeless, that is a picture of the church and of the Christian life and of the story of what is good in the world most of the time. That's what it looks like so often, like all is lost, like the enemies and obstacles arrayed against us, against you. It looks like they're far too great. It looks like the situation is too much and hopeless and there's nothing to be done. But what is at the center of that image? What is the, what is the center of that picture? The prophet. The prophet. The presence of the word of there, everything is different. There, the closed circle is broken, and there is hope and power. There, always and forever, those who are with us, those who are with you, are more than those who are against. Let's pray. Open our eyes, Lord, the eyes of our heart. Enlighten them that we may know, that we may see your extraordinary power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at your right hand, far above every rule and dominion and authority. And that we may see that that power is there for us, for the living of the life of following Jesus, for the proclaiming of Christ, for the life of the church and of good in the world. Oh Lord, open our eyes to that truth. 
and let it change us and shape us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.